Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 140. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Happy Veterans Day, America. It's an important time of reflection, unity, and inspiration. And Veterans Day is always a time to stay vigilant. While John Kerry was earning a silver star, a bronze star, and three purple hearts, I was being treated at Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington, D.C. I was 25 years old. My body was broken, and my faith was shattered. I remember one day, on leave from the hospital, a friend of mine was pushing me, and we were going around the city. I was in my new wheelchair. Right there in front of the White House, we hit a little bump and dumped me right on the street, right there on the curb. There were cigarette butts and trash around, and I remember trying to lift myself up out of the street. I was angry in those days at war, saddened that veterans were not getting good care, and frustrated that people in power were not listening. Those were difficult days for me, and they were difficult days for my country. But I ultimately realized that although I had lost a lot, I still had a lot left. That's the voice of a hero. That's the voice of a veteran. That's the voice of a patriot. That's the voice of Max Cleland. Max Cleland died this week at the age of 79 in the same place he was born, his beloved Atlanta, Georgia. Max was a son of Georgia, a fan of the Lone Ranger, a high school basketball star, an army captain, a triple amputee, an activist, a state senator, the youngest head of the Department of Veterans Affairs in history, a United States senator, an author, a helper, and a true American hero. Max was also my dear friend. He was my mentor. He was my hero. And he died this week, two days before Veterans Day. Max always wore a Mickey Mouse watch that he told people was a reminder not to take life too seriously. And he didn't. Max enjoyed life in a way that only someone who has been that close to death can. Max was 25 years old when a hand grenade in Vietnam shattered his body and forged his heart. The blast tore off Max's right arm and leg and blasted through his other leg. Shrapnel sliced his windpipe. His left leg was amputated, leaving him only with his left arm, but also with the heart of a lion. The pieces of his body that he lost that day only strengthened 
enlightened his heart. Max had a tortured recovery, but it left him, as he often used to like to say, quoting from Hemingway, stronger at the broken places. That's what Max was, stronger at the broken places and stronger in all of America's broken places. He was the best of us. After facing down the worst of us in Vietnam and in politics, but it never took his heart. And that's what I'll remember most about my friend Max, his heart. And this Veterans Day, man, my heart is heavy. And many hearts are heavy all across America. Max was vigilant, always speaking out for the little guy or gal, always speaking out for America, and especially always speaking out for his fellow veterans. And this Veterans Day, it's my obligation to echo all the things that Max spoke out for. And as I grieve his passing, the only way I know to do that is to tell his story. But I can't do it myself. No way. Because his story, my story, your story, they're not our own stories. Max taught me that. They belong to the world. They belong to history. And they belong to America. Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through. And in order to even begin to properly tell Max Cleland's story, a story that began and ended in his beloved Georgia, I wanted to speak to the man I know who knows Max better than anyone else I know. Another hero of mine, another mentor of mine, another brother of mine, another Vietnam vet, another son of the South, another true American hero. A man who could have been VA secretary, a man who could have been a senator, a man who probably could have been a rock star, but a man who chose a different path, an equally important path, and in many ways, an even harder path. He's another legend in the veterans community, a trailblazer, an icon, an elder, a brother, my friend, my mentor, my hero, the madman, Shad Meshad. Floyd Shad Meshad is one of the most vigilant dudes I've ever met, and one of the most real, one of the most inspiring, and one of the most fun. And in this time of mourning and reflection, and especially this Veterans Day, Shad's the person we need to hear from most. They call him the madman, and he's mad, all right, in all the right ways. If you're not angry, You're not paying attention, right? 
And Shad Mishad has been paying attention for more than 50 years. And he's the very best kind of angry American. And the very purest kind of independent American. For more than five decades, National Veterans Foundation founder and president Shad Mishad has been one of the most important veterans advocates and social entrepreneurs in the world. He's a therapist for veterans and an advocate for veterans' rights. After getting a master's degree in psychiatric social work from Florida State, he enlisted in the Army in 1970 and served as a counselor for U.S. soldiers in Vietnam. That was about 40 years before that was really a thing, and he'll tell you more about that. After returning to the U.S., Shad founded and directed the Vietnam Veterans Resocialization Unit at the VA Hospital in Los Angeles, California. It was the very first program of its kind. It focused on readjustment problems of Vietnam veterans who were surging home. And during that time, Shad was among the first leaders to study what is now known as post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. And he's going to tell you the whole story. And in 1978, he created and lobbied for the National Vietnam Veterans Readjustment Bill. And in 1979, he founded the Vet Center Outreach Program, which now serves veterans in hundreds of locations around the country. In 1982, he published a memoir of his experiences in Vietnam called Captain for Dark Mornings. And in 1985, he founded the Vietnam Veterans Aid Foundation, which was later renamed the National Veterans Foundation. He's been on every TV and radio show in America. He served on the faculty at the International Critical Incident Foundation as president and board of the Association of Traumatic Stress Specialists and on the board of directors of the Green Cross Project. And after the events of September 11, 2001, Shad was called upon by the government to train critical incident and trauma teams at Ground Zero, where I was. Now, Chad is an elder and an oracle. He consults and teaches stress reduction and anger management techniques to mental health, law enforcement, and critical incident professionals through his Quantum Performance Institute. And he continues to work with veterans in the Los Angeles area every single day, helping them through the process of healing and readjustment. Chad speaks, writes, teaches, leads, and loves. And stays vigilant, just like he's been doing for 50 years. For Shad Meshad, every day for the last 50 years has been Veterans Day. And when the media and public attention of Veterans Day on November 11th fade, on November 12th, for 50 years, Shad and his team go back out into the field, taking it to the streets for his fellow veterans, and for all Americans. Shad's staying vigilant for all of us. And I'm so honored that he's on this show to tell us about his dear friend, Max Cleland, a guy he knew for over 40 years. He's deep in the middle of mourning his dear friend and my dear friend, America's dear friend, Max Cleland. But Shad's joining us exclusively. He doesn't want to talk to anyone else. He wants to talk to me. And he wants to talk to you about Max and about Veterans Day and about America and about life, but really about Max. Shad's a man who knows more about America than almost anyone else I know. He's a man who knows about struggle 
and triumph more than almost anyone else I know. He's a man who knows how to become stronger at the broken places more than almost anyone else I know. He's a conscience for us all, especially on Veterans Day. And he's a true independent American. This is a very special, very raw, very honest conversation that keeps it real. This is different from anything else we've done on the show. And I hope it helps you stay vigilant. Because as Shad knows and Max has taught us, eternal vigilance is the price of freedom, especially after the passing of a legend and especially on Veterans Day. So Independent Americans is continuing to bring you important, inspiring, and iconic Americans. People who are shaping what America's been, what it is now, and what it will be in the future. And we're bringing you the Righteous Media Five Eyes. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And this is one with impact. Welcome to a very personal look inside the amazing life and legacy of the great Max Cleland. Welcome to a very real conversation about the true meaning of service, sacrifice, patriotism, friendship, and love. Welcome to a conversation with one of my dearest friends about one of my dearest friends that I wish you all could have known. Welcome to a salute and a celebration of the great Max Cleland. Welcome to Veterans Day 2021. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 140. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, happy Veterans Day. Veterans Day is a very important time in America. It is a time of reflection. It is a time of learning. It is a time of community. It is a time of mourning. Uh, And it is time to bring in one of the most important voices in the history of veterans affairs in America and in the world, a man who has inspired me since the day I met him. He's been a mentor, a friend a true North for me and countless other veterans and one of the most interesting, one of the most dynamic and basically one of the coolest mofos I've ever met. The great and powerful Shad Meshad finally joins us on Independent Americans. Welcome, my friend. Thank you. I'm so honored to be uh, here with you, particularly uh, the last couple of days. You've been, uh, you got my back. Uh, There's times when you need, uh, the world can slap you in the face, and particularly with the loss of someone that is so close and special to you, as we will talk about in the, I'm sure in this in this interview. But uh, I'm a little sad, but I'm elated to be with you, Paul, because you're, you're part of, been such a part of uh, the nation's veterans coming home. I mean, my whole life has been that, and you you came in uh, at the right time and. And I'm just uh, elated and honored to be here today. Well, if there if there's good that can come of Max's passing, it's that it's bringing us together. 
and it's it's bringing a lot of folks together. We're all reflecting and mourning and and celebrating, and we're talking, which is which is a big part of what you know. I will always remember about Max our phone calls, him calling me, me calling him. We traveled together, we went to stuff together, but just talking, and him encouraging me to talk. And I remember he said to me once when I was thinking about writing a book. I think it, I think he said something like, "You have to write a book." Because your story is not your story. He said, it's everybody's story. He said, you have to tell that story for all the people who can't. And he told his story for all the people that couldn't. He generated such rich conversation and dialogue and policy change. And, and you guys together transformed the way people talk about everything, but especially about pain and veterans groups. So I'm glad we're talking. Right. Like we need to talk. We need to talk about this. We need to tell Max's story. We need to celebrate him, especially for the folks that maybe never heard about him. Younger folks, especially. We got to we got to you know, teach the history of our movement and of this country. And I, I'm going to have a beer. Uh, I talked to my friend Tom Keefe yesterday. He was a Vietnam vet who knew Maxwell. I asked him how he's doing and he was hurting and he was and he's a listener of this show. So shout out to Tom and so many other vets that worked with Max and around Max. And he said he was in his garage having a beer, listening to tunes, thinking about Max. And so, you know, Max is a guy who loved life and uh, and and brought joy to people. So I'm having a beer. I'm going to pour a little out for Max and I'm going to get to talk to one of the, the greatest Americans I've ever met. So uh, I want to ask you, Shad, we've been through a lot of shit together. Uh, we had a lot of conversations over the years, but I want to ask you the same question I ask all of our guests. Where are you and how are you? Well, I'm in Los Angeles, where I came after Vietnam. I've been out is my permanent residence here in Los Angeles for over 50 years. But I've been all over the world uh, in my work. But uh, and uh, obviously with with what's uh, been going on and with the loss of Max, I got to uh, tell him goodbye the night before he passed on on FaceTime with uh, Linda Bean, who's been by his side for the last few years and became a good friend of mine. Uh, he couldn't, he couldn't talk. He couldn't, uh, he was barely breathing, but I got to shout and throw a kiss to him. And, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in there. I, I probably wouldn't talked about it. I've got a million calls from colleagues around the country that knew our relationship, but didn't really want to talk over and over again about it. But because, uh, how special you are to me and Max, uh, I, I'm, I'm elated to be able to speak about our history uh, today, even though it's just been a, seems like a few hours since he uh, moved on. So I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm, I'm thankful and honored to have you here finally on this show. I can't believe I haven't had you on before, but I hope it'll be the first of, of many visits. Um, you know, I've learned so much from you and, and from Max um, and a big part of what, frankly, why I, I don't leave the veteran space is because I feel like a baton is being passed and I have to pass the baton to the next crew because you all have taught me so much. You told me so many stories. You helped me understand things I didn't know. And and you've told this kind of founding history of the modern veterans movement and this these critical chapters of American history, so much bigger than just veterans, right? Max was so much bigger than a veteran. Your work is so much bigger than just veterans. But let me ask you to tell the story of of when did this when did this man Shad Meshad first meet this man Max Cleland? Well, I say in a lot of my conversations, my life has been a God shot, and that was definitely one of the biggest God shots in my career. 
was meeting Max. Uh, Max had been at Walter Reed. I, I landed in uh, L.A. in 71 and eventually assessed the largest psychiatric facility in the country uh, because they asked me to because of my job in Vietnam as a mental health officer and uh, the fact that Vietnam vets were struggling so bad, even as the war was going on, coming back. And the hospital uh, hired me for a 90-day assessment of the largest VA psychiatric facility in the country. And I gave them 90 days and I failed them. And I, and I told them why. And, and they said, well, you know, Dr. Philip May, who was the head of MPI at, at UCLA was also over the VA. They were waiting to hire people to take over. And he said, I need you to fix it. So, you know, I don't know who else could fix it. Well, there weren't many of us mental health officers in Vietnam. We were very rare birds. You know, I was uh, a, a therapist for 150,000 men scattered over one and two core. It was, it, was, it was a joke, but that's what it was. That was the beginning of mental health in the combat zone. So they thought I had all the answers. I did not have the answers. All I knew is they weren't Vietnam vets at this hospital. And if the city, our city, our, our, our county had 335,000 Vietnam era veterans, that's twice the population of the city I was raised in. It's like, wow. But when you got 16 to 18 million people, ones that are real citizens and, you know, uh, that's a lot of folks and no public transportation except for buses and freeways. I hit the streets. I said, I've got to find out. And luckily I ran into a couple of vets down at Venice beach that were getting ready to, uh, do a story on the VA and about how it sucks. <laughs> and I went down there and I, I, I'm in my Afro and beard. I'm in a government car, I walk Venice beach and I find them and, these two guys really were a big part of my career because once they trusted me and I was able to take them back to the VA because they got kicked off the ward by a German female psychiatrist that they called Nazi and another German psychiatrist in admissions that was kind of Nazi-like. And it was really nothing other than if they had a patch on them or a tattoo, they couldn't even come in. They'd kick them out of admissions. So I learned a, learned a lot, but these guys connected me. Uh, they took me to two places where my career started. One was uh, a condemned uh, uh, peer. What do you call it? An entertainment peer. And it was called the Pacific Ocean Park Pier. It's condemned in 68. And they take me through a trap door, and there's 250 Vietnam vets that took over the pier, hidden trap, because it was condemned. And that's where I got all my leads. And then from there, a couple of guys, as long as I did something, I would take them to the hospital. I'd bypass all of the bureaucracy because the, the director said, whatever you got to do, just don't go to jail. I kind of look like a jailbird. So I, <laughs> I learned about this group of Marines that lived up in, uh, up in Coral Canyon, a canyon up past Malibu that had set up a fire base. And, and that story Dan Rather did uh, back in 88, I had to give 10 years to the guys that inhabited that fire base uh, silence or they would execute me. And I was escorted in by rifle for years. So for real, I, for real, I, I'm pretty established. I'm out in East L.A., South Central, in the mountains, up in Cathedral Point. Venice Beach was I mean, it was just packed. 
vets were coming from New York, Boston. You had every accent down there. We had, you know, thousands and thousands. Of, you know, once I located where they went, uh, I was I was really I was embedded. And then uh, I get a call from uh, Alan Cranston's office. He was the chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee. And uh, he had been pushing for some kind of psychological readjustment for Vietnam vets starting in like 71, 72. And at the same time, Max Cleland was in uh, Walter Reed trying to figure out how he could live with a body with no legs and no arm, just one arm, and was rehabbing or whatever. And Cranston gave him his first job. I mean, he was from you know, from Vietnam to Walter Reed. And now he's on this veteran, you know, they're like uh, aides that take on veteran problems when they come to the, you know, to the, you know, Veterans Affairs Committee and they Max he gave him his first job. So he said, look, uh, I had gained a nickname in four years on the streets out here as the madman, probably because I looked in the fact that I was always out on the streets running groups in different sections of the city. I don't think most of the hospital therapists, psychiatrists, other than a few really liked me because, you know, I wasn't doing psychiatry in the office and helping these guys. I, I went to them and I wrote a Harley Davidson. I didn't, you know, get around in this city. I, you know, I sort of fit the illusion that I was some kind of nut job, but I got the nickname Madman. And Cranston said, we, we're getting close. We're trying to do this bill, which we'll get to. And I'd like for you to go out and see what this guy, Madman or whatever he is out there, is doing. And that was Max's first assignment. And he comes rolling in in 74, late 74. He's got an, a guy, I call him a pusher, that pushes his wheelchair. They come into a van, and he's all dressed up in a suit. And I'm, he looks at me like, uh, so where are the – he thought I was one of the clients. And I said, no, I'm Shad. I'm, I'm the Madman. And we went in for a briefing and I said, so Max said, so where are they? And I said, well, they're not here. If we're going to get in another van and I'm going to take you on a ride. And I took him to Venice Beach. He was so nervous. I mean, I, you know, we're like cherry at that time. Now I'm going to go out and see veterans that aren't in hospitals, but on the streets. And I rolled him down uh, the, uh, the tramway along the beach you know, if you've ever been to Venice Beach, it's like the greatest free show on earth. Mm-hmm. But we had thousands of Vietnam vets and pockets all over there. And I had already discovered them, had been working in groups in different parts. And I pushed him down there. And as I introduced him to vets and I explained who he was and they saw his injuries, it just, it just merged. And we were down there most of the day. You know, the director's waiting for us to come back. I come back up there. Max was in tears. I was like, What's wrong? I mean, this is it. He just couldn't believe because he thought in his world it was all physical injuries. We know Walter Reed, there's everything and anything. And now he's seeing this, these invisible wounds and just thousands of these guys, black, white, Hispanic, Native American, Asian. I, I had them all. And uh, I, you know, he says, what do you do? I say, oh, well, we get in, we get into rap groups and I, I, I would have taken him to one, but you know, he was just, just getting out and uh, he went back and gave a report. We became friends because he knew that 
something had to be done on the streets. It wasn't a thing where we give them this or give them money. These guys were angry or whatever, but they were really empathic towards what happened to him. And well, as you know, <laughs> a peanut farmer that was a friend of Max becomes president, Jimmy Carter, 76 election. And Cranston is still pushing this thing. And Max gets in and says, I, I got the guy that need, needs to talk. We need to talk about how what he's doing there. It's probably going on all around the country. So they brought me in. And uh, I remember I had to trim my hair and beard. My best buddy who was at Nam with me, he was a real restaurateur, gave me one of his suits or whatever. I, I looked, just felt uncomfortable. And I go in, they take me up to his office and and there are all these cameras in 60 minutes is, is filming, you know, and I'm looking and I'm like, hey, Max, what's going on? Shh, we're filming. I mean, you know, and it was it was just I, I was as soon as I quit filming, I jumped in. I'm hugging him. He's like, hey, 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 you know, and he starts introducing me to all of these cowboys that he hired at the VA from Dean Phillips, Tim Craig. I could go on and on. Uh, some of them are not even alive today, but they were all Vietnam vets. And uh, he said, "We got, we got to get the, we got to get Congress behind. We got Republicans that think we're crybabies." And or your first thing is because uh, I went there every three months to meet with all the heads there from '77, '78, and the first part of '79, and I got into a lobbying role of meeting different senators and congressmen that were. Most many of them at that time were World War II vets, and they thought Vietnam vets only served a year, were crybabies. You, you know, we did three years. I fought at the Battle of the Bulge. I was in the Pacific. They kept looking, you know, they considered us crybabies, and I took them head on. I said, it's not the quantity of time, it's the quality and what happens during that. And, you know, I, I've been working with Dr. Charles Figley, uh, Dr. Robert Lifton at Yale and Heim Shatton out of New York, doctors, all doctors, about this thing they kept calling post-Vietnam syndrome. What does that mean? It's not a diagnosis. You can't get a dollar for it in the VA. You're either psychotic or character disorder to get benefits for any kind of war emotional injury. Well, are you psychotic, Paul? I mean, you were there. It was just there was no way. And so a lot of the Vietnam vets fake being crazy just to get some money to survive because they had, you know, they were mostly high school graduates, had no training for a job, flipping hamburgers and stuff like that. And their attitudes and their trauma that they had was not identified. And so at that time, I'm working on what today is known as PTSD with the five or six well-known not all well-known. I wasn't well-known. Figley wasn't well-known, but we were all together saying, this is not a diagnosis. So I pleaded that with Max. And Max said, well, right now I need you to, I need to get a thing. What is this psychological center going to be? I said, well, don't call it that. It's a, let's call it a vet center, a center where veterans can go and huddle through the rap groups that I started we need to develop more training. I had a few films that I was in, a documentary in 72 and three shows me in L.A. Like I looked and all over the, the, the city. And I said, we, we really need to get that in place and what's made of it. And you can't call it something that they won't go to. And they may not go to vet centers. Vietnam vets have been 
10 years, the war, you know, they'd been out for 10 years. Think about it. You go there 18, you're 28 or 30. And all of a sudden we're going help without hassles, come to the vet center. Hmm. They knew that somehow they're connected with the VA. They knew that I had been a VA, uh, you know, counselor. And so I, I figured there, there might be a real freeze, a uh, uh, resistance to go. But I said, you've got to make sure, call it a vet center. We do rap groups. We don't do psychotherapy groups. And I just uh, laid it out. And I lobbied that for two years. And eventually, uh, one of the senior <laughs> senior congressmen, Olin Teague, Tiger Teague, Medal of Honor winner from World War II. He always, you come in his suit, he was five by five. He had that Medal of Honor in your face. So what do you want? You cry babies, whatever. And I, I took him on just like I'd take anybody. I didn't give a hell. You know, I'm a Vietnam vet. I'm probably messed up too, but I'm, I'm angry. How we've been treated, spit on this or that. I, I said, look, uh, tell me about your five years and what you got the belt. Well, I got it in the second year, whatever. And we'd go back and forth. It's funny, though. Uh, he retired in uh, January of 79, and we finally had the votes to get uh, Cranston's bill in, Public Law 9622. We had to wait till he retired. Two years later, I'm a nominee for the Olin Teague Award for service. <laughs> and I went to the service, and the wife came up, and she said, he loved you. I said, he said, you're one of the fighting Vietnam vets, and he was a fighter. I said, I was just fighting his attitude, <laughs> but it's funny. So back to Max, uh, we finally get get the public law 96 passed in June of 79, comes law. That summer, I was bringing in everybody I knew. I brought in all the doctors that were, we were still working on the PTSD thing for the APA, and Max would sit in there, and I, I was always... <laughs> pulling on his one arm and that that was just an crazy summer we had to have our first training in september but max was coming to la and we were both single and <laughs> max tell me to stop paul but we partied i took him out we, we got close like you and i got close you know sometimes i forget that you're that much younger than me but max <laughs> I didn't realize he was a party animal. And, you know, I'm in L.A. I'm, uh, my best buddy is working on Sunset with a great restaurant. Max uh, Max had been seen on 60 Minutes. And so people would come up, you know, and he loved it. And he had friends everywhere. And we would party. And some of the great moments, uh, he would fly in. We'd put him up in the Marina City Club where he could hide out. And he'd have a... He always had escorts of beautiful women. They were always six feet or taller. They were towering over me. I'd have to get him ready. We'd go out to these parties or whatever. I'd be hand, he'd be dancing with that one arm and I'd be flipping over. And we just got crazy. Then my friend Bob Franco and I, we were, you know, we were athletes, uh, little short athletes, but uh, Bob was great at basketball at the Marina City Club. We took him in. Uh, they had basketball court on top. You know, this only mega millionaires lived in this high rise that that uh, was built by these billionaires. And he beat us in horse with his left. He could just pop all net 
all the time in his wheelchair. Franco was playing, you know, would see me pro ball. I, you know, I could hit a jump. He just sit in that chair, boom, 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 just smoked us. And then we get crazy. And, uh, you know, I had to be careful because he was battling, you know, alcohol abuse. Uh, I wouldn't say abuse. He just, you know, all the pain and stuff, it definitely kills pain. Yeah. And it went on and on. Uh, we'd go to. Can I can I pause you there for a second, Shad? And and this is why I wanted you on the show because I've heard some of these stories and pieces of these stories, but America needs to hear these stories that you know are through Max's eyes and your eyes. But you know the, the, there's so much in this, and there's a there's a couple of points I want to pull out. Like one, I didn't know until I hung out with you guys and Wayne Smith and so many others how much friction and resistance and animosity you got from the World War II guys, many of them, right? And who, who also said you were the first generation to lose a war, right? That was another part of this too. And, and hearing from all the folks about how hard, people assume now the wall was a thing. You, had, you all had to fight like hell for every inch, whether it was the vet centers or the VA or the wall or, or just basic recognition. So, you know, there's a tragedy in this story too, right? In, in, in Max's journey, and, and and his fight constantly for all of these things. But let me ask you to, to bring us back to the point where I was. I did Chuck Todd's podcast today, and he said, you know, Max Cleland was, was I think, the first cabinet secretary. I don't even think it was a cabinet level at that point, but can you tell us what was it like when Max was named? You know, triple amputee, Jimmy Carter names him, Vietnam vets are, you know, still getting so much friction and being spit on. What was it like for everyone when Max was named to this post? To be honest with you, other than D.C., Georgia, nobody knew who Max was mm-hmm. until, I mean, he, he he went to stardom as soon as he was appointed. Jimmy Carter, this peanut farmer wins this, and next thing you know, he appoints this triple amputee that I happened to meet under Cranston, his first job, but I just, it was mind-boggling. When I heard that, it's like, wow, because I had been working with, Vietnam vets against the war in Venice, headed up by Ron Kovic, who was anti this, anti that, slashing. They had taken over the VA director's office. Ron Kovic, who, who most folks will know from Born on the Fourth of, the 4th of July. July. He was yeah, in yeah. my first rap groups in the city. I got in. I got. He was in my first documentary. I was in. You should see it. I mean, he was. Uh, he was. He was an angry dude. And not that I wasn't angry, but I wasn't out of control. He just whatever. But. And then Max comes in, he's in a chair, not paralyzed, but no legs, no arm. And and then it was like, wow, I'm so glad I met him before all this big stuff. He was just this aide for Cranston. And then we just, just like I get with you, I don't care who's around or whatever. We're going to talk, hug, talk about the kids or whatever. That's how it was with Max. Everybody's looking at me like, wow. And I'm, you know, the same contrast as we had when I took the Venice Beach. I was, I looked a lot more normal, but you know, it, that that had already happened. And so now I was under the pressure for uh, the director of uh, mental health and the director of all the doctors in the VA in the country. They're all looking at me, looking at Max, and looking at me. I'm like, oh God, oh God. And I contrast. You know, but we were both huggers and we're both Southern boys. And so they didn't know what was going to happen. And I just came in and said, we got to have this, this, this and this. And I got in there. My 
my colleague, I brought Bill Mahidi, Reverend Bill Mahidi, who was a chaplain in Vietnam to help diagram. I have the diagram uh, copies of the original diagram that they sent to Congress or whatever that we etched and drawn, drew out. And uh, it was just, it was a daily thing, Paul. It was a daily battle. But the thing about Max is when he would get to LA because just being on the spot and being there with the VA because uh, they resisted everything he did. And, one, uh, and there's other stories, but uh, he would get away and it was LA. And, and as soon as he got there, he was mine. <laughs> and then he goes, so what do you need? Do I need to talk to a director? I said, I'll get to that. Let's have some fun tonight. Mm-hmm. And it goes on all through our life. That, that's an important part of Max that I want for, you know, he, he's so celebrated for his political career, but his warmth, his humility, his jokes, like he was the just a warm, warm guy, always telling jokes, always cry, always laughing, you know, always talking about what's important, always telling you he loved you. Right. That was something that a lot of folks, a lot of, you know, guys never heard from another guy. I, right. We you both never heard like that. An, an older guy loved you and he cared about you. And, and that really mattered. That he actually cared about you as a person. And he, I think he knew, you know, he knew about his symbolic value, right? He knew the, about oh, the yeah. wheelchair and the amputee and, and how politicians and others would propify that. But um, you guys also kind of brought vet stuff mainstream, artfully. Like you talked about Ron Kovic, and there's all these journeys along the way outside your office. I don't know if you still have the, the drum set from the Doobie Brothers because they oh, were yeah. so, so key. But can you take us through that the other part of this, which was, you know, the cultural part? You were doing the medical side and the political side, but you were also mixing music and celebrity and culture, you know, a generation ago before that was a thing like it is now. So take us inside that world. I don't know if you got a story or two you want to tell us, but that that, that, <laughs> that was a wild world you guys were in, too. I don't know how far to go, man. I don't know who's going to be watching. I'm not going to. I was looking at all the articles on Max immediately, and they, you know, they mentioned maybe that just the line the vet center pro. They don't know anything about Max, in my opinion, because I knew him from the time he left Walter Reed to Cranston to to you know director and all these other things to governor. I mean, I did two two. Uh, uh, Senate hearings for him about why the military needs to do. I was really big into transitioning them uh, with all these generals that he would have in or whatever and, and, and try to sell them on, you know, help deprogram these guys six months. I was pushing for six months. Maybe it was too much for them to deprogram guys that are going back into civilian life so they wouldn't face all these different things. And this is this was before, the, you know, 9-11 and everything. This was in the mid 90s. But I had already been through that with Vietnam and uh, the Gulf War. I just saw stuff. There's just so much ignorance. And I would let him know what it was. But we'd always say, hey, we love each other. When are we going to get together? And when we get together, we let's get out of here. Let's go for a ride. Get, you know, get a convertible. We'll go up here, whatever. That's what friends do. You know, the, uh, very few times you can work for somebody as big as Max as far as his job and everything and sort of be one of his pieces and then go party like we were twin brothers. <laughs> and that's how it felt. I mean, he looked totally different to me. I got my limbs or whatever. And we went out and it just it just disappeared. It's like, let's go boogie. You got me a beautiful woman. Got you a beautiful woman. Let's get out there. He liked the boogie. 
<laughs> and uh, I, the greatest story with my dear friend, Bob Franco, who, who served with me in Vietnam, he's infantry, who met all of my, was with me through all my journey here in L.A., and Max, of course, became our friend. And we introduced him to everybody like Springsteen and Deborah Harry, John, Bo- all, all the celebrities ate at his restaurant. And Max would come in and they the big table. Everybody sat at his table. Max just loved being in the center. You know, it, it was great. And they'd see me jump him and hug him and mug him. And they're like, man, this guy's human. You know, he's just not this, this mannequin on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... Uh, when I was setting up the foundation after I left, because he had only was in four years because Carter lost. But when I was setting up the foundation or whatever, uh, when he would come for some type of thing, we we hook up, we continue to do our thing. But I went to Atlanta with Bob. We went there. My sister had her 50th birthday or something years ago, and we invited Max. And then we took Max out to one of the hot clubs in Atlanta. He had already been. Secretary of State, he'd been VA director. I mean, everybody in Atlanta knew Max. <laughs> this is our favorite story. I had him laughing up until two weeks when he could respond. But <laughs> we go to this big nightclub. Everybody's working. Everybody sees Max. He was running for something in Georgia, governor or something. <laughs> and we're out there on the floor. He's sweaty. And the girls, the girls start ripping his shirt off. He's sweating. He's ripping. And the band is playing Sherry Baby. You know, the, uh, the, yeah. the, it's a guy, the New York group that sang Sherry Baby. And uh, I, I'm blank right now. I know the song. I know we, get him, we get him up on stage. Right now, I get him up on stage with the singers. <laughs> the girls all over him and he's singing Sherry Baby bad it's one of the greatest moments with no shirt on it's ripped off no shirt it's ripped off and i got pictures but i don't ever show those uh but i i look at him and he's just like this and women and they're just mauling him and we're like bodyguards Amazing. Uh, you can take my shirt, you know. It was it was one of the great was, nights. We had nights was, like he, that. He, I, he I could was, tell he was a guy who 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 appreciated life, you know, and, and everyone around you appreciated life more when you were with him. When you could see him, you know, shooting a jump shot or singing a song or just enjoying himself. I mean, he knew that when you looked at him, he said, Shit, my life isn't that hard. If this guy can do it. You know, I told my son about him yesterday and he had heard about Max before and he, you know, he talked to him on the phone and and I said, look, you know, he has he he did these things and he only has one arm. And he said, but Dad, can he climb a mountain? I said he can do anything. He, he's <laughs> he is a Superman. And and that's, you know, the, the perspective that he brought to everyone was so far ahead of its time in some ways. So can I ask you, Shad, I mean, politics is a part of this. It's all everything is political around this. What was it like later when he was a senator and, you know, he, he seemed to be, you know, he was a man of integrity. He cared about issues. And this time when John Kerry is in the limelight and Max was attacked, you know, John Kerry was attacked and their service was attacked. Right. Like, you know, did did Max was somebody said Max wasn't a veteran because he lost his legs in a grenade accident. Right. It wasn't an enemy grenade. And for a long time, he thought it was his own grenade turned out to be 
another uh, guy's grenade, right? There, there was this kind of twistedness around the way he had to experience that out in public. And I think he said when he lost the Senate race, it was more painful for him than when the grenade went off and he went into a deep depression. Can you talk about what you think we need to know about that, having Max out there? And it was about Max, but it was also about all of you as Vietnam vets under attack. I went bananas. I went out. When that happened, he could hardly breathe. And of course, I'm my sister, I got family back there and I went there and I spent time and uh, we both wept. I mean, we didn't even go out. We usually go out to a restaurant or something like that. And, you know, everybody's coming. He just he isolated. And I knew that. And I was so angry. Uh, but I but it wasn't it was maybe through him be like somebody smacking your kid and you and, mm-hmm. and you just get furious. And and I just had to be with him because I put myself and I do that with everybody that I encounter or work with, put myself in their shoes. And we spent two or three days. I, you know, I should have, I should have stayed longer. We talk about that, but he was mortally wounded. He couldn't believe that people that hadn't been there were calling him a loser and a fake and all the stuff they did with John McCain later. You know, I, were, I think one of the presidents recently called us losers. I mean, but to, to lose that race and, and how in, how cruel everybody was. I mean, it's okay to have different political differences, but it affected me like it would affect someone, as I said, messing with your wife or your kid. And I just, I I guess I was just there. I didn't know what to say. I I didn't know what to say the last few years over a lot of stuff, but the divide must've been happening. People were just becoming vicious. And all I know is uh, we never, we never missed a week without talking from that time, me checking. Eventually, he went and got help. He actually went to a vet center. Uh, I recommended. I said, hey, you know, whether we start, I'd go to one if I had to. Uh, you need to go somewhere where people can hear. And luckily, he did that. And, uh, and, and I said, hey, that's being manly. You know, we've talked about it. You know, most war fighters aren't going to say, hey, I'm hurting. I don't for a number of reasons. But. I said, Max, you've done everything. You know, the, the world is so much better, particularly in America. And there's always going to be somebody that's going to hate you because I went through it. Mm-hmm. That's why I left the vet center. You know, they were trying to change it and bring it back into the VA. Mm-hmm. And I birthed that thing along with Max and Carter. And it was like, but I'm still in it. You can't do this. And they they really had the power when I thought whatever uh, it wasn't going to happen. Max and I both wrote to uh, to the to the VA. Nobody's listened. They they weren't listening. Everything is uh, convenient. It's easier for us to manage in one place. They were centralizing it again rather than decentralizing these services, and and it was a battle. But I uh, that brought me closer to him, and I think there was a time. Uh, that it happened to you and somebody had bad mouth or said something because, hey, you're an important American veteran doing something important. Somebody didn't like it. They probably didn't like my my beard at one time or my accent or whatever. They'll come at you with anything. But we he got through it. He got through it. I don't think I got through it. Mm. I still when I think about that or whatever. Uh, I never bring it up to Max unless he did. 
But all I did the, the last six months is sing Sherry Baby and talk about one of the funniest times in our lives, getting him ready for a party. Mm. Uh, it was it's um... we just could do and say anything. How many buddies do you have like that, veteran or not? There's um, there's so much heart in all of in all of his story and your story and the story of you guys together. I hope somebody makes a movie about the two of you <laughs> and and about each of you. I got a whole idea about how it would be a comedy. <laughs> oh, it, it would be it would be an amazing insight into that time because you guys are are are, are these formative figures uh, that shaped so many parts of of what we experience today. And Max. You know, when Max got attacked in that Senate race, that was the first time we saw this tone that became so commonplace for Trump, where nothing was off limits, where you could call a triple, triple amputee who, who who gave his life, you know, his whole heart and soul for this country a loser. You could question his patriotism. They said he was, you know, sympathetic to the terrorists. They hit him low and hard and repeatedly. And it was actually like this is another example, in my view, of how Max took it for us, right? Like he, in many ways, he took that grenade for everybody. And he took, you know, time after time, he took grenades for everybody. And he, he, he was the first one to, through that breach. And it cost him his political career and it damaged him politically. And I remember being in a room with John Kerry where he said to a bunch of vets, you know, you know, what do you guys think about VP? And Max was in the room and we all said, Max should be the VP. Max should be your candidate. Max, and I wasn't even a Democrat, but I knew that Max had a magic but there was also, you know, I think Max sometimes got token tokenized. It's like, oh, it's just Max. He's just the vet. But he was so much more than that. And those of us that knew him knew that. And I hope that people know that now. Like his political career was just a piece of it. But his his transformation of our society with you and others and as a leader who opened that breach so that, you know, he was uptown, you were downtown. Right. And, and you guys were kind of like the weirdest band. And, and there's this extended band. Like, I don't know how many members of the Doobie Brothers there are, but it seemed like they were always changing. New ones were coming in. That was all. Oh, yeah. Wayne, Wayne Smith, Ron Kovic, Bobby Muller. <laughs> I, you know, I could go on and That's on. That's a great Jan, analogy. Jan, Jan Scruggs, you know, all of you. There's just this amazing tapestry of dudes and, and women, I'm sure, too, who are part of it. But it's a really important part of our history that I don't want to be lost. And let me ask you a specific question, Shad. Max is gone and we're going to celebrate his life. We're going to mourn his passing and celebrate his life. That's what my friend Bonnie Carroll has taught me. And, and I try to harness that. If Max could talk about Max, what do you think he would say? Right? Because, you know, in, in the real talk, like right now, if he said, hey, guys, I'm gone now. Message from beyond. Right? What do you think he would say to all of us? I know exactly what he would say. He wanted to grow up and be a cowboy. And I'm not joking. The last year, two years in bed, he's been watching every case. He's got autographed things from cowboy celebrities. He really wanted to be out riding a horse, hustling cattle or whatever. And I'm, I'm telling you, I, if you want me to be totally honest, yeah. he, I, he says, what do you want to be? And I said, well, you know, maybe I own the ranch. That you hustle. I, I don't know if I want to spend my career. You know, there were similarities in us and, and some that were very dissimilar. But he, he would just say, man, wouldn't it be simple? We could just ride the planes and just enjoy life and see the beauty and look what we got stuck into. Everybody's watching us, you know, everybody's critiquing us. 
because uh, he knows what I went through after he left. You know, everybody came after me. I wasn't the VA golden boy anymore. And they tried to keep pulling the VA. I mean, the VA kept pulling the vet centers in and, you know, centralizing everything. And I'd call him, but he had no power, but he would he would back me. But, you know, it was like, uh, you know, why can't we just get on the horse and ride into the sunset? And that's that's really one. And he lived that in bed for the last three years, watching those and dreaming. And I sat and watched them back in April. And that's what he wanted to do. That's it. Bottom line. Maybe the secret's out, but that's the that's what well, I think. Wants. That's that's we all wanted a simple thing. We wanted to just be a simple American, you know, that image of just riding. And he loved cowboys. I did, too. But I got into sports and stuff. He couldn't. And and just I just got back from the Smoky Mountains after all the stuff that's went on since August with the fall of Afghanistan. Everybody asking me for answers. I mean, God, if I just come down to it, it's all political. It has nothing to do. But I had to get away in the beauty and everything. And I would talk to Max even when I could get a signal to say, hey, brother. And I would turn my phone just like I do with your you do with the kids. And I'd say, hey, look at this. And he would mumble and go, I should be there. I should be there. You know, could hardly talk mm. and, and just just share everything. But that's that's it. That, that's so important for people to understand because that's if you knew Max, you knew there was this little boy, like ch- wide-eyed, childlike quality about him, and it's part of what everybody loved. He was a dreamer. He was, right? and 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 there's something you know in those to hear that that he wanted to be a cowboy. The idea of being free and not being in that chair, and you know, I was talking with his to arms else. and his legs. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I remember uh, he. You know, Max is his sweetheart. He also had a fiery temper, man. I, I was traveling with him one time and I was I was staffing him. And um he had, you know, he had the two wheelchairs. He had the wheelchair he rode in, then he had the wheelchair he put like his briefcase and all the shit in, right? <laughs> and they're both kind of rickety. He never wanted a mechanical wheelchair. You know, he didn't want any prosthetics. He was doing it his fucking way always, right? <laughs> always. And, and and uh we were going from DC to New York. And I realized when we got to New York, I had so many things to keep track of because there was all this shit around Max and I wasn't his real staffer. And I forgot his blazer in in the top of yeah, look at your face. I forgot his blazer in the top of the Amtrak. And he was so fucking pissed at me. I thought he was gonna kill me. And I, I figured he's gonna be he was gonna be cool about it. Oh, don't worry about it. But he but what I realized, he was really mad. He was very mad. But when I when I unpacked it, what I understood and I understand now is we went to the same hotel and when he got there, they knew him and he went into the same room and I helped him put on his breathing thing that he had to breathe through when he slept. And I realized he was he had everything wrapped so tight because it's the only way he could do all those things that he did to to be on the road all the time with no legs and no and no, 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 no kids. You know, he he did so much of it alone. He had some great staff that I that I still stay in contact with and I love. But to be able to function at that high level with those limitations, it's a side folks never saw how much pain he was in constantly, how hard it was for him to move around physically, the demands on him, how his body temperature, you know, would be out of whack. It was so fucking hard for him. And he did it for so long and that's what i want people to know and understand that he never showed he always smiled and he always had love for everybody else but i know when he went home he was exhausted and he was in so much pain and then he'd get up and do it again and he'd get up and do it again and he'd get up and do it again and he almost always did it for someone else 
And that's where, you know, I don't think the Democrats, it's another reason I'm pissed at the Democrats forever. They never appreciated Max Cleland. I don't think John Kerry fully appreciated Max Cleland. That man went everywhere for everybody. If he heard a vet was running, he'd be out there for you. And and that's a spirit that I that I just want folks to understand and know about because it was deep in his heart. Um, and, and it's, and it's a, it's a part of, of what made him so special. Boy, you could, you could, you put it all, you put Max right into perspective. I mean, I, I, uh, all of that I've experienced for four, for 47 years and, and, and to be able to go back and, 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 and enjoy that even when he's dying. I mean, just sit there, I would break out and go, Hey, let's do, let's do the first line of cherry baby. And he'd be there. You know, trying to talk, and he he had uh, one of the caretakers call me, and he said, "Just say Cherry Baby call." And I had this voice. Uh, this is uh, uh, I'm one of the caretakers. Uh, is this Cherry Baby? <laughs> that was like two weeks ago. And it was a joker. Yeah, some things that are just private and wonderful. Uh, there was a big night. He was being honored. I guess uh, this is back in like '81. Was it 81? Yeah. No, no, no. What am I saying? 81. This was like 78, 79. He was being honored uh, in the Marina Del Rey at the Marina City Club or whatever. And his uh, his his assistant got, got sick or something, got caught. And so he said, look, you're going to have to come and get me dressed and help me for the thing. So I got in because we were going to go to this big party and he was going to be honored and uh, I don't know how far to go, but he had to shower and how he showered. Speaking of what you're saying, when you go into these hotels back then, they have these little things you open up, you put your luggage on. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden he says, all right, get the luggage rack, get it set in the shower. So I got it set in the shower. And then I had to kind of help him drag because he'd pull with that one arm and get him up and on the luggage rack and then turn the shower. He would, reach the shower if he could and adjust the water and he'd be bathing. <laughs> he was all, all lathered up and uh, he didn't get all the soap off of it. <laughs> I swear to this day, it's one of my favorite stories. And I turn the water off and he slips off and falls on the floor, you know, tile floor. The, the luggage rack flies in the air and I'm trying to grab him. And it was like a greased fall. It was so slippery. I kept slipping and dropping him, slipping and dropping him. Then we, I had to rinse him off. And the, it was like a cement bag, getting him up on the bed. And then he said, right, get the towel, get this, this or that. Then I had to dress him. I, I wish I could do that one more time. And he got up and the next thing we walk it was like an hour. We were late for the thing. Walking, he has his six foot two girlfriend that comes and just can't wait to be with Max. And I roll him in, and there's this big party room and dinner and everything. And he just comes in like everything was just like everything was and I was I was just laughing all night. He look at me and go, Don't tell that story. But he had, you know, he Oh my that, God, I miss him so that, much. It, it, I just very very yeah, good to he, be able to talk with you about him because I don't I couldn't take any other interview without somebody knowing him. It would just yeah. Thank well, you. I'm I'm so grateful for this gift and I want to find ways to continue to tell these stories because these are the stories that people need to hear and they need to know and they need to, you know, for me, 
leadership's about sacrifice. And, and he sacrificed so much for so many. And so have you. Um, and, and I want to have you back on to go deeper into your amazing and inspiring story. If I don't make a movie about it before then, but, uh, but I, I want to ask you, let me ask you maybe a final question if I can shed about Max, what is Max's place in history? What is, what is Max for America? How do you summarize his, his place in history and, and what his legacy is? He came at the right, he was pivotal to take what myself and other veterans were trying to do outside of the VA. He came at a time where he couldn't have been a better role model, being an intelligent, one of the greatest speakers, severely disabled, to come in and be able to handle it at that level and bring people like myself in smart enough to know, hey, we need this, we need this. He had a way of you, you couldn't say no to Max. You just mm-hmm. couldn't say you loved him. And he would say whatever. He had a way, he had a delivery that it took. He had all the tickets. The vet centers would have never happened. It would have never happened. Cranston didn't know what to do. He'd been piddling with, you know, what are we going to have a, a psychiatric center for whatever, like vets were crazy or whatever. None of that worked. Uh, when Max came out with me and to really show him, he got the chance to see in process because he had never been on the streets. He hadn't been out of rehab for years. Just us hooking up uh, what I created would have never been created. Uh, I don't know what I would have done after that because of the assignment to take this nationwide. And then all the people, you know, a lot of them that work with him. uh, There's something about someone that's at a disadvantage becomes a superstar. He just, just did it, you know, mm-hmm. without legs and an arm. And that empowered him so much. I mean, whatever you believe in, or higher power, whatever, Max was put in that. And to live to 79, I mean, I, I just can't imagine. I never feel like, you know, I, I gave my all with two legs, two arms, and I'm can mobile, I can do things or whatever. He was so, so dependent and yet independent and, and just his charisma. I mean, and Mm -hmm. and it will always be for veterans. I mean, just the fact that the vet centers have made it over 40 years, hopefully beyond that, uh, new treatment techniques that are out there. There's other stuff coming. But he paved the way for all that to happen in a big way. Mm. I remember just feeling like I was in this little city of L.A. doing my thing, and I had enough for a lifetime, 300 35,000, whatever, I would have probably died with him or whatever, but he, he, he was able to expand it. I mean, you know, you don't realize it, but the vet center expanded into Australia for all the Australia. They mimic the vet centers. I know we gave, we did some training for them. And in Canada, for those, we had like 36,000 Canadians fight as American soldiers for it. Just a major impact. It was a, was a godsend. It was a godsend for me. Uh, for that purpose, which is what you know has been your purpose of helping veterans, you know, reintegrate and have a life, you know, living the dream or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. You know, they deserve that just to have that opportunity. I remember when I was uh, 2010, you know, was talking about with the veterans uh, uh, house chairman, Bob Fillers at the time, and he had proposed to Congress 
and and proved it financially. The Soviets got a hundred percent if they served honorably, hundred percent. So whatever hundred percent, whether you were injured or not, you served your country. It was ten times cheaper than the process they have now. Figuring out what. It's above the leg, so we give you 30%. It's part of the mm-hmm. shoulder. That's uh, 12%. Just give everybody 100%. And just, you know, people will want to go to war. It's great. Or won't go or whatever. I don't know. But it was like 10 times cheaper than the process we have now. Mm-hmm. Ratings and going through here, being turned down, whatever. It's not an issue. You just go. Uh, major impact. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm. I'm just so blessed and honored that I've had the opportunity to talk real and not about, yeah, he was a senator and then he was this and then was that. It's just, it's just mechanical. Doesn't say anything about this, this great comedian, (laughs) one arm shooter. Everybody fell in love with him. I mean, how many people, I wish everybody fell in love with me, but you know, I, Mm. I, I don't have all the tickets back, Sad. He had all the tickets, even though people looked at him like, poor Max. Mm. Oh, God, how does he do this or that? He just did it. Mm. And, it and it's inspiring. I mean, I think about it. Whenever I talk to Max, you know, he said, how you doing? I said, ah, doing great. I'm doing great. I could, I could be getting ready to have shoulder surgery or whatever because I'm going to have something. You know, I, I can't. I don't even want to compare myself to that. I'm, I'm, I'm an outdoor dog. You know, I want to be out there running and gunning. I, I don't know mentally if, if I could have handled that. So, well, you've, uh, I, I am so grateful that you shared your stories and your heart and your uh, insights and about your friend. It's my love. You know, it's about my love. Yeah. I'm sharing my love and the and love. It's, 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 it's something that you've taught me and I'm, I'm grateful for everything. I can't begin to express how grateful I am to you for everything you've done for everyone. And for me personally, you've also done the same thing many times when I didn't have anybody else to call, I could call you. And, and, and that is, is inspiring, but it's also, it shows me the way and you've shown me the way. And, and I'm just grateful you share all this about Max because Max Man, Max was just the real deal, and and he was so special, and he taught me what it was like to be a person of influence and a person of inspiration, a person who mattered, and and the way he carried himself and the way he did things and the way he kept it real. And I think maybe the thing I'm left with about Max is love. You know, I said he, he used to end every every phone call with "Love you, man. Love you, man. Love you, bro." Right? Like every time. I got a ton of pictures over the last forty five years of him, and they're all "Love you, love you, bro." You know, just and I'm gonna. Po- I, I got post, letters. I want. I want to post a lot of these pictures at independentamericans.us, and and uh, and and we'll continue to post this. But you know, I think that's what Max taught me was was love, and to, and to tell people you love them, and show them that you love them, and and say you love them. So maybe if there, there's no way to end this conversation, we could talk for hours and hours, but I, I do want you to stick around for our Patreon members. I'm going to ask you a couple quick fire questions. But I want to acknowledge, I want to acknowledge one other person, Paul, please. The last two years, Linda Bean, one of his many girlfriends that he didn't marry, that he wished he had. It was one of the things he told me in April and she's always there every day. And she's, mm. she's the one that's connecting me every day with the, FaceTime so I could talk to him once I left. And she's a real hero of mine and she knows Max very well. Thank, Thank you. you for that. Thank you for that. I'm glad we could recognize Linda as well. And 
And, uh, you know, I want to thank your your better half, Melinda, because the two of you are an amazing team. And please send her my love and just know that we appreciate you and to all the other veterans out there who are listening this Veterans Day. Uh, we appreciate you and and live a little bit like Max did. Right. And, I, and I'll end it with that. Shad, love you, man. Love you, bro. Stay vigilant, Thank man. You so Stay much. Vigilant. Stay vigilant. Like Max. Stay therapeutic for me. Me too. Me too. (laughs) There it is. That was therapeutic for me, and it was for Shad, and I hope it was for you too. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever struggle you've gone through in your life, whether it was combat, loss, heartbreak, the pandemic, whatever you've gone through, I hope my conversation with Shad gives you some strength and spreads a bit of that love that Max spreads so well. Nobody does it like the madman, Shad Meshad. I could do a whole season of podcasts just with Shad Meshad stories. I'm telling you, the dude's the real deal. Check out his vital organization, the National Veterans Foundation at nvf.org. Donate to support their critical work. They need it. And read his story captain for the dark mornings and google videos of him out there teaching and fighting for the last 50 years and soak it up and spread the love take it to the streets because maybe more than anybody i've ever known shad is a true helper always look for the helpers there will always be helpers you know even just on the sidelines Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. The helpers like Shad are out there, especially this Veterans Day. And the helping vets face challenges ranging from the pandemic to PTSD to burn pits. The cancer causing toxic exposures we've talked about on this show many times before. And I've been advocating on for decades. If you want to help support the fight to make change on burn pits, especially this week, Check out the organization I founded, Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, IAVA at IAVA.org. You heard from Jeremy Butler a couple episodes ago. He's the intrepid CEO who's leading that effort. And speaking of toxins, this week, there's another new episode coming of While the Rest of Us Die. While the Rest of Us Die, episode four, airing on Veterans Day. I've told you about this. It's the latest project from me and Righteous, and we're proud to rejoin Anthony LaPay, the Ephraim Films team, and super narrator Jeffrey Wright in a dynamic lineup of contributors. I'm the consulting producer and a contributor for season two of While the Rest of Us Die. It's on Vice TV. You've been hearing about it on this show. And this week on While the Rest of Us Die, we dig into the secret history of how corporations have poisoned our water, our land, and our bodies. Yep, we're talking about toxins, and yep, it's another fun one. But fun is optional. Vigilance is mandatory. And this is another one to help you stay vigilant. On the next While the Rest of Us Die. We are exposed to toxic chemicals all day, every day. The EPA began with these lofty intentions, but they have been tasked with regulating industries that have so much more power. You don't see a concern for the public. You only see them talk about a concern for profit. While the rest of us die. 
Thursday, Veterans Day, 10 p.m. on Vice TV. They will replay it on Vice TV. You can find it anywhere on your cable networks, or you can catch up at vicetv.com or on Amazon. It's good stuff to help you stay vigilant. And for more good stuff, please check out independentamericans.us. You can see video of my conversation with Shad. I'm also going to post photos of Shad and Max from back in the day. Really, come for the 70s fashion alone. It is amazing. And you're going to love seeing the photos of Max and the Madman doing their thing and making history. It's amazing stuff. Go to independentamericans.us. You can also really recognize Veterans Day with amazing episodes with some of the most important and inspiring veterans on Earth. No podcast over the last couple of years has had a deeper and wider range of inspiring veterans leaders. From Aaron Mankin to Bob Woodruff to Bonnie Carroll to Admiral Mike Mullen to General Mark Hurtling to Amy McGrath. The lineup that we've had over the course of the last two plus years is really long. So go check out the website. Go check out independentamericans.us. All of it's free and you can share these conversations in audio or video. And if you want to teach young people about Veterans Day... That's a good place to start. And since Veterans Day is here, that means Christmas and Hanukkah are coming sooner than you think. So don't wait. Get Independent Americans gear at independentamericans.us. Mugs, hats, shirts, and on Veterans Day and Veterans Month, you'll be supporting a veteran-owned small business. Mine. You can, of course, also find Independent Americans and Righteous on YouTube, where you can see videos from all of our shows. So if podcasts aren't your thing or your friends things go send them over there to youtube and you can see videos from all our shows and of course check us out on social media you can guess the guest every wednesday look for guest the guest wednesday i'm gonna pop it out tonight right after i submit this recording but thanks to all of you who continue to play and thanks of course to our fearless patreon members and especially mike tipton adam clark kathy oppenrod anna frula mark reed thanks to all of you for having our back you make content like this possible. You help me bring voices like Shad Meshads forward. So thank you to all of you. You support the fight. And you get extra content with Shad. He is a fascinating guy. Patreon members, you will get extra content, audio and video, of me and Shad, where I have him stick around and answer a couple of questions. I ask him the car question. He talks about drinks, and he tells Doobie Brothers stories. Even if you're not a Doobie Brothers fan, you want to hear the Doobie Brothers stories, and you want to go check us out on Patreon. You can join the growing, insurgent army of independence for exclusive access and events by becoming a member of our Patreon community. Just go to Patreon. For only 5 bucks. you can get access to events, gear, discounts, and lots of other cool shit. Give your favorite veteran a Vets Day gift. Give them a membership to our Patreon community. And give me a gift. If you love this show, please support us and go to the Apple Podcast Store and give us five stars. A couple of you have done that, and I want to thank you. T-Bird9E did that. So did AAM62. Now, AAM62 only gave me four stars, but I'm still glad that you came. I'm glad that you reviewed us, and I'm glad you went to the Apple Podcast Store and gave us four or five stars, either four star or five stars. Either one makes a powerful general, and either one makes a great review. So thank you to all of you. And while you're there and while you're here, subscribe for free and share. If for some reason you're listening to this and you haven't subscribed, you're kind of freeloading. So do me a solid. Just subscribe. It's all we're asking you to do. Subscribe and share. And this Veterans Day, since it's 11-11, you can share it with 11 friends. I know it's a lot to ask, but share it with 11 friends. Tag your 11 friends on social media, and I'll give you a shout-out, and maybe I'll send you some gear in time for the holidays. 
This content keeps coming to you thanks to the Righteous Media team, especially creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez. They keep this righteous machine going. And so, of course, does my amazing wife and my two fiery boys. It's been another wild week in the Rykoff house. Uh, soccer season has come to a close. Thanksgiving is coming near. We had a Coxsackie scare in our preschool. Well, if you don't know what Coxsackie is, go ahead and Google that. But that was fun. All this leading up to Veterans Day, which is 11-11. It's a special time, always in our house and around our community. Especially because after 11-11 comes 11-13, which is an even bigger day. My wife's birthday. That is a very special time. So my wife, Lori, has been with me for everything. For over a decade of Veterans Days, over 140 episodes of this show, two kids, two businesses, and so much more. But she's celebrating another trip around the sun this weekend. And that is beyond worth celebrating. She's an amazing mom, a beloved wife, a treasured daughter, a wonderful sister, and an exceptional friend. She's a person who brings light to all of our lives. And every day, we're inspired by her. So this week, we're going to toast her magnificence. All week and all weekend long, we are celebrating my dear wife, Lori. Happy, happy, happy birthday. She makes this show possible. She's a true helper. And like Max, she's shown me what real love is all about. So if you want to get some more love, be sure to check out Everybody and Their Mother Has a Podcast and The Firefighters with Rob Sarah. New episodes of both of those shows are hitting every week. They're 100% free. They're powered by Righteous Media. And we got more shows coming on the way before the end of this year and into early next year. We got shows cooking, so stay tuned and check out Righteous.us for more and spread the love. That's what we do here. Americans are more divided than ever, even on Veterans Day. But we here at Independent Americans are trying to change that. We're adding light to contrast the heat of all those other political shows. And we're going to keep bringing you the righteous media five eyes. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and of course, impact. And if you're among the 40% of Americans who are independent, this is your show for that impact. Republican, Democrat, but you're not a diehard partisan. This is the place for that impact. Or you're just a concerned American who cares about the future of your country. This is is your show. All are welcome. And all are really independent Americans. We invite you to join us and be a part of the solution. Please keep sharing the hope. Because hope is the oxygen of democracy. And Veterans Day is not Memorial Day. Veterans Day is not about mourning the dead. It's about celebrating the living. The heroes that walk among us. The heroes that inspire us. The heroes that spread the love. And share that hope. That's what Max Cleland did. And that's also what Colin Powell did. Not just as a veteran, but as a general and as a dad. But like Max Cleland, Colin Powell represented the best of what a veteran can be. And these are the powerful words of his son, Michael, at his funeral service this past week. And don't punch out just yet. Listen to this whole thing. You're going to be glad you did. We walk through this life holding hands with the ones we love. They guide us, they pull us out of harm's way, they touch and caress us with love and kindness. One of my most powerful memories comes from holding my dad's hand. I was hurt very badly and lying in an ICU bed following a bad accident. It was the middle of the night, yet my father was by my side, 
after a long day of work. I was squirming in pain and anguish. Without a word, he just took my hand and squeezed it with a father's love. It instantly relaxed and put me at peace. The last night of his life, I walked in to see him. Now he was the one lying in an ICU bed. He could not see or speak to me. So I took his hand, just as he had taken mine decades before. I knew everything was not going to be okay. I wanted him to be at peace. But again, I felt my father's love in that hand. That hand that took my mother's hand in matrimony. That hand that held me as a baby. That hand that signed report cards, tossed baseballs, and fixed old cars. That hand that signed treaties and war orders, saluted service members, and gestured joyfully while telling a story. That hand is still now, but it left a deep imprint on the lives of family and dear friends, soldiers and sailors, presidents and prime ministers, and a generation of aspiring young people. Ralph Waldo Emerson said that the purpose of life is not to be happy, it is to be useful, to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it make some difference that you have lived and lived well. My father made a monumental difference. He lived. He lived well. I've heard it asked, are we still making his kind? I believe the answer to that question is up to us. To honor his legacy, I hope we do more than consign him to the history books. I hope we recommit ourselves to being a nation where we are still making his kind. For as he said in his autobiography, his journey was an American journey. Colin Powell was a great lion with a big heart. We will miss him terribly. We will miss him terribly. His journey was an American journey. Colin Powell lived, and he lived well. And like Max Cleland, he showed us all what love is really all about. And that love gives others hope. And that's what Veterans Day is really all about. Love. Celebrating and showing love to all those who've shown their love for our country and for all of us. Because that's what service really is, a demonstration of love. And Max Cleland was a true American hero, one of the finest, most selfless leaders I've ever known. He was a titan, and his tremendous impact was second only to his heart. Even in his last few difficult months, Max was a fighter and a happy warrior. And of course, Max's passing comes the week of Veterans Day. He defined what it means to be an American veteran and what it means for veterans to continue to serve after they take off their uniform and after tragedy. He's a man I've taught my kids about since they were born. And I'm devastated by his passing, but I'm celebrating his rich and inspiring life. 
I think the president should order flags a half staff nationwide. And I think he and Congress and veterans everywhere should salute and celebrate the life of this true patriot, true leader, true hero, true role model. And to my fellow vets out there especially, we need to reach out to each other more often, just like me and Shad did on this show. We need to check on each other, especially after these last few trying months and years. Do what Max did. Call your buddies. Make sure they know Max's story. Check on him. Tell him you love him. That's what Max would do. Max Cleland lived, and he lived well, 79 years. And 54 of those years were after his alive day. 54 extra years. 54 extra years of not taking life too seriously. 54 extra years of stronger at the broken places. 54 extra years of living like the Long Ranger and not just wishing he was a cowboy on TV, but 54 years of being a real cowboy. The guy who rides in to help others and save the day. That's what Max was, and that's what he did. 54 extra years of love and 54 extra years of hope. And that hope, that hope is the oxygen of democracy. We talk about it all the time, and it's what life is all about. And really, it's what Veterans Day is all about. It's the hope that keeps us pushing forward, just like Max did for 54 extra years. And it's how we keep this movement of independent Americans growing week by week and how we will stay vigilant because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant and you are not alone. We're all in this together. Max taught us that. So from the Lone Ranger to the Doobie Brothers, to Colin Powell, to Shad Meshad, to all the veterans you know and have ever known, to Max Cleland, to you. All across this country, we're all in this together. Max always ended his calls or conversations with, love you, man. And we love you, Max. We will never forget you. We will forever honor your legacy by living our lives like you did. We are forever grateful for all that you sacrificed, all that you taught us, and all that you gave. Leadership is about sacrifice, and few sacrifice more than you. So rest easy, old soldier. We've got the watch now, and we love you forever. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Happy Veterans Day, and stay vigilant, America. We love you, Max. Media.